Hallelujah. Amen. We're, we know this. Um, time is just accelerating. We've said that so often. And I don't think there's a person in this room that wouldn't say, uh, you know, what we've said so often. Every day is a Wednesday. Every day is a Thursday. Every day is a Friday. Every day is the same day because it seems like that everything is just escalating. It's a vacuum. Time is in a vacuum and it's speeding towards the Lord. Prophetically, I believe that you can find that out in his scriptures, that the closer that we get to the end, everything accelerates and it goes back towards where it's, it once was spoken, the spoken word um, actually opened up this universe to expansion and now everything is coming back to rest upon the one that created it. And this, all of this is, uh, is bringing us forward to our assignment, which is revival. We, we really know what our assignment is around here, and that's the kingdom of God, however you want to say it. You can say it revival. You can re call it a restoration of kingdom living. Uh, it's, it's pretty much all the same. The, the world hasn't seen the best that the world has seen today in, in churches. A guy said this the other day. I liked it, man. He said, the, the, and he, he, I was listening to him. Boy, he speaks our language. He'd be, be one of the people that you'll listen to Sunday night. He said the church, the world is, is uh, it's seen enough of uh, the churches with the big screen, skinny jeans, and fog machines. <laughs> That's not going to get it. That's not going to bring in this last and final great day harvest. But uh, we understand, and we understand, I'm not saying that through a prival statement, we understand that through the word and through prophecy, what we should be doing. Our assignment um, is really kind of right in the middle of a, if you, any of you read my recent letter that I sent out at the beginning of this month, it's kind of like in a sandwich now, you remember the illustration of the, the God sandwich that, that Pastor Dave gave, and I'm not talking about that. That's a perfect illustration of about how the Holy Spirit uh, prays for us. He's on one side, we're in the middle, and God the Father is answering. That's an absolute truth. But the prophecies that have gone before us that Jesus prophesied, um, what would be taking place puts us right in the middle of him coming and everything that's kind of pushing us we're right in the middle we're he said have this revival and this revival will be to a generation but behind all of that or in the middle of all that is an absolute chaos it's just absolute pandemonium and this pandemonium is part of it see covid listen i don't know how to explain this but covid 19 the riots our assignment of revival, the escalation of prophecy, like the blueprint prophecies and all those wonderful prophecies we've been receiving from Pastor Jim Martin and the present-day speaking prophecies from Tulsa, and Gary's been very prolific in prophecies recently. God's really, boy, he's had a voice in 2020. He's really been speaking. God has not been silent. He's been very, very prolific in what he's been saying. But all these things are interrelated. They're interlocked. The end of time, or the end as we know it, is coming. And all this chaos is pushing towards that. 
But right in the middle, there's going to be something that we call a kingdom outpouring. We call it revival. It's a, that, that's our word. That's our, our coined word. And in this revival, there's going to be some incredible things take place. Now, Matthew chapter 24, you might as well turn there. We're going to have a lot of word, but we've got plenty of time. We've, we started pretty early as far as word-wise. So we've got a lot of word to cover, and that's okay because we love the word. And so let's look at, these are familiar scriptures, but they lay the platform or the foundation for what the Lord wants to say tonight, because the title of tonight's message is Seeing God for the First Time in a New Way. Seeing God for the First Time in a New Way. Now, the disciples were asking Jesus a question, and we look at Matthew chapter 24, verse 1, and Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See not all these things. Truly I say, or verily I say unto you, there shall not uh, be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. That actually did happen already in uh, 70 A.D. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming, and of the end of the world. And of course, We've really made a lot to do about this. Jesus, the first thing he said, take heed that no man deceive you. That's not our lesson tonight. For many shall come in my name saying, I am Christ or I am of Christ and shall deceive you or, or and shall deceive many. And you shall hear of wars, rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled for the, all these things must come to pass but the end is not yet. Now, I've broken this down before, and that wars and rumors of wars is not just foreign wars, but it can be violence in our streets as well. We understand that. For nations shall rise against nations and kingdom against kingdoms. There shall be famine, pestilence, earthquakes in different places, and all these things are the beginning of sorrows. I, Pastor, where do you believe we are in the timeline of eschatology? Eschatology is a big word, but it just means in time events i believe we're at least at verse 8 all these all are the beginning of sorrows then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake and then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another and many false prophets shall rise up and shall deceive many and because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. That's a prophecy concerning the church, the um, turning away of the church, the uh, hyper-grace message, all those kinds of things, the lukewarm um, church, the Laodicean church that we saw in the book of Revelation when we studied that and saw uh, how that, that church became uh, in the end and what Jesus also said to the church at Ephesus because uh, it, he said to Laodicean, because you're neither hot or cold, I'll spew you out of my mouth. He said to the church at Ephesus um, that you had lost your first love. But all of that is the apostasy and the turning away of the church. But he that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. And this is one of our promises that we love to keep hold of. And this gospel, which gospel? your gospel, Jesus, the one that you taught and demonstrated. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. And then, 
shall the end come. Now he says a whole lot more in this chapter, and uh, as Pastor Jim taught us very eloquently in February of this year, is that this chapter and all throughout these red letter writings here, or red letter teachings here, are spokes um, all going back to answer this kind of the same question for their different illustrations and different veins and in this one vein it led up to verse 14 then shall the end come but then he gives other illustrations of the end coming as well so we were able to glean that through that uh, seminar that we had here in February our call to revival and our call to prayer extensive prophecies in COVID-19 and the writing in our streets are all as I said they're all interrelated and I might mention this to you which you already know if you have any discernment at all these are not civil rights movements at the core they are movements of at the core they're movements of the Antichrist um, I won't mention names I've already given some breakdowns right off of some websites <clears throat> but there are certain movements in our land right now that are not civil rights I'm all for civil rights I'm all for equality uh, social justice in, in every way I don't know a Christian that is a real Christian that wouldn't be but at the same time there are certain movements in our lands land and you know what which ones I'm talking about that are uh, not civil rights movements they are um, at their core they are Marxist and it's proven that they're Marxist if you look at their websites you can prove that they're Marxist um, but beyond that if you scroll down if you ratchet down discernment it's not that they're just Marxist and want to totally destroy a Marxist of course um, they really uh, it doesn't matter what they say in pretense, they do not believe in God and they will destroy the image of God and um, uh, they bring into existence socialism, communism, and those kinds of things. But that's a facade as well. That's another part of the onion as well. Deeper than that, way deeper than that, is the pretense that is taking place for the setup of uh, the Antichrist in the earth. So these movements are not just Marxist movements, they are anti-Christ movements. Some people uh, may be ignorant to some degree in taking a knee in pledge of some of these movements. But I will say this, even those ones that are ignorant, like saying I'm taking this knee to pledge a pledge of um, civil rights there's still when they bow the knee there's still something wrong with them there's a level of darkness over their mind for them not to be able to discern that uh, what is behind the pledge that they're making with the groups that they're making um, is not totally out of order and has an antichrist spirit I will say this, that's exactly how the Antichrist will take, I'm not saying that group is, and I'm not saying that that pledge of taking the knee is, but I'm saying that's exactly how the Antichrist will work in the end. 
Jim brought out a lot of different things that we understand more closely or closer I should say what that mark of the beast might be and uh, it's not any of those things but I'm saying that's a type and a shadow of how that, that will come into effect because uh, peer pressure social pressure will cause people to yield to a mindset that I need to do this to show um, my camaraderie, my solidarity with, with certain groups. We'll say, well, what if they do it? In, no, listen, in the mark of the beast, if you do it, uh, somebody said, well, it, well if, it's, if, if it's in ignorance, when you do it in the mark of the beast, that's it for you. That's it, okay? You've, you've, you're done. You're done. So this is where the church has become so estranged from God is that they think that it doesn't matter so much. So that's not our mission tonight. But I'm telling you the hour that we live in. It's a, an extreme, uh, and the church has lost its discernment because the church has not served the Lord um, in righteousness and true holiness. Now, let's go to 1 Peter chapter 4. Because I want to make note that the church that is listening and the church that is hearing and the church that is obeying is coming under judgment. And it's a self, it's good, it's a self-imposed judgment. But nevertheless, it's something that will interpret itself out to the harvest. I heard a minister say the other day, I agree with him 100%. I've said it myself. Um, the end time harvest of the true harvesters will be marked by whether or not you have the power for miracles and can get people filled with the Holy Ghost and can demonstrate what you're preaching the church is done with a facade and it's done with a, a greasy grace uh, people that are looking for answers are done with it okay not those who want to stay in their still position first peter 4 12 says this beloved are you there i hope you are beloved think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you but rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings that when his glory shall be revealed ye shall be glad also with exceeding joy if you be reproached i've said before we need to learn this put this on your on your uh refrigerator your bathroom mirror and and, and learn this one get this one tattooed on the the uh inside of your eyelids and and read it and if you be reproached for the name of christ happy are ye for the spirit of glory and of god resteth upon you on their part he's evil spoken of but on your part he's glorified but let it none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief as an evildoer or busybody in other men's matters yet if any man suffer as a christian let him not be ashamed but let him glorify god on this behalf for the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of god 
And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be to them that obey not the gospel? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore, let us, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. Backing up into verse 18, it says, and if the righteous scarcely be saved, we broke that down in a series a long time ago. What that is not saying is if the, scare, if the righteous barely be saved. In other words, you can't really barely be saved. You're either saved or you're not saved. But that word uh, scarcely broke down into mean critically, to be critically saved. In other words, once you come into the kingdom, God doesn't stop working with you right then. You know, the threshold is born again. Then he goes into pruning you. Then he goes into nurturing you. Then he goes into causing you to grow up into a vessel, a son of honor and a son of, if he gets his way, that's his plan. He doesn't get his way through with a, a lot of Christians, but if he gets his way, his objective is get you in the door then start nurturing, get you filled with the Spirit, then get the Word in front of you and get you nurturing and growing. Well, once you get into the nurturing and growing stage, then you're being critically saved. In other words, it's not a salvation that he's not talking about a present tense born again. He's talking about an ongoing process in your life that has a, a, a criticism or a critically... Uh, you're under the tutorship of the Holy Spirit. You're under being um, scrutinized by the Holy Spirit in a wonderful way. And all of those, you know, all those thorn seeds are coming out and all of those handles are coming out. But that is good because this is a voluntarily, volunteer um, judgment that is taking place on the behalf of whoever enters into it. You know what? When you, when you start to... Uh, faithfully pray in tongues when you faithfully pray in tongues and then you give yourself over to fasting you're entering into critically being saved or scarcely being saved that's a self-imposed judgment amen the qualifiers will qualify that in the days ahead in other words our qualification for ministry will be can we do it can we do the works now Here's where we shift a little bit, and I wanted you to catch the essence of tonight's message is the, and it'll, knowing this will kind of be a joy to us in the days ahead because I, I really believe we're going to see a shift. You know, we talk, we talk about revival, and we put a lot of uh, emphasis on miracles, and again, we always emphasize, put a big asterisk you know, on a star and underline and take a highlighter and say, the miracles are not the essence of our relationship. We're not into thrills and chills. It, it's, God loves people. It's all part of salvation. It's all part of, but it's also the calling card. It's also the qualifier for our gospel to prove that what we have is truly backed up and it, it, it's, it's, it's uh, proven to be what it is by the miracles. Praise God. But there's going to be a shift that's coming, and it's coming soon, in which the commonality of miracles is going to be such a thing among us 
that it's going to be like we're seeing God in a different way for the first time. It's like, wow, we really didn't know, although we confessed, we really didn't know you in this manner. And what I want to show to you and prove to you and us to take hope in is how that Israel saw God all of a sudden in a totally different manner. Let me just set this up by saying this. The Old Testament is types and shadows of the new. So if we look at, we can look at different parts of the Old Testament and say, okay, that speaks to us something of relative truth to us in the New Testament. So if we look at Old Testament things and we, we prove those types and shadows by looking at certain scriptures like this. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Go there with me. 1 Corinthians 10. And what I want you to get out of this is to see that truly the Old Testament and different parts of it all throughout is, a, is, is, is um, as I said, a type and a shadow. We can look at the Old Testament and get a, aha, this happened then. It's going to be scheduled to rehappen again. It'll happen then to prove to us that it will happen again in our lifetime. Let's look at verse 1. It says, Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the wilderness. Now, this is Paul talking about the Old Testament saints and specifically those that were following Moses through the wilderness. He verifies that in verse 2. And were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And we could teach on the, the you know, all of that. There's ample teaching through here. Going through the sea was a baptism. Coming out of Egypt was born again. And the baptism into Christ was the sea. And did, he says in verse 3, and did all eat of the same spiritual manna. So again, he's just teaching us through these writings that those things were a type and a shadow. And did drink of the same spiritual drink. For they drank of the spiritual rock that they followed. And that rock was Christ. Now, when they were walking through the wilderness and they were drinking from water coming out of the rock, I don't know that they had the revelation. It wasn't clear to them. This is Christ. He's the rock. And out of him is coming. But Paul says this, all those things were of truth, a shadow, and it was preaching the gospel to them. Whether they realized it in fullness or not, it was the gospel being preached. But with many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. For these things were for our examples to the intent that we might not lust after evil things, as they also lusted, neither be ye adulterers, as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted, and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them for our ensamples. So there again, he says, that's a type and a shadow, that they and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Upon us are the ends of the world come. It doesn't mean the 
world ends in us. It just means the dispensation of all things comes down to a, a vortex. It comes down to, a, to an end, and it's us, this dispensation, uh, Christ coming, starting it, and now we have end time, the end dispensation started with the book of Acts, but the end of the end is culminating with us in prophecy, okay? And we see a lot of that throughout Scripture. Now, I want us to look at, because it's important for us to see how that Israel knew God in one way, and then all of a sudden knew God in another way, and it was basically a shock to them, and also how that, if that happened then, and they are set to be examples, I like that word, in samples, for us to also know that suddenly there is going to be these, this shift and we're going to be like, huh, I ne you know, have you ever said to somebody, I, I, ne I never saw you in that light before. Sometimes it's in a bad example, you know, sometimes uh, people see, you know, see you lose your temper or something, whatever, but many times it's really something that they never saw about you and then you know, you do something that is something you could have done all along or you do something that's really special uh, and, and they like, whoa, that, they, they're really, they got, they got a side of them I never saw before. That's really great. They can, you know, there's an expertise in them. There's a gift in them. There's a quality in them. It's, you know, um, it's just the examples could go on and on, but we're going to see something about our Father that's going to be a nice shock to us in the days ahead. Now, somebody said, well, no, it's no shock to me. It's going to be a shock to you. You're not accustomed to the signs and wonders of, like we're about to see. You're not, your natural physical mind is not, although our spirits have been confessing these things into existence, when this paradigm shift and again another big word but it means this a completely different change of thought process and understanding that's in the natural but in the spirit realm something is going to take place that's going to cause us to see our father in a light in which we only really up till this point saw him in revelation knowledge concerning the word then face to face we're going to know him in a certain sense like well, we'll see in Scripture here. Let's go to Acts chapter 7. And let's look at setting up uh, the example of Israel and the Jews in the wilderness. We have to look at Stephen's testimony. It's, it's kind of long, but it's, it's w worth reading. And I'll just tell you this. This is Stephen, the martyr. And he's about to be martyred. Um, I may be able to shorten this at some point. I don't know. I've got a lot of this. You know, let's just start reading. And I'll, you can follow me to listen. Because this is very, very important. If the last word, these are the last words of a man that's about to die. Okay? The last words. Now, he's not dying of illness, laying in a bed somewhere, um, of a disease. But he's about to die, and the Holy Spirit puts on him this, these words to say. And these words were important to them then, 
and they're important to us now. So, um, you know, we may get most all, all this or read most of the, this chapter. So just follow along with me and you're at home. Uh, look, at, look at your word. Verse 1 says, And then said the high priest, uh, Then said the high priest, Are these things so? They brought Stephen. This is Stephen, the, the soon-to-be martyr. They brought him uh, from the synagogue and they putting him on before the court. And he said, Men and brethren, Stephen said this, And fathers, hearken. The God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he went into Carmen, Quran, and said unto him, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred, and come into the land which I shall show thee. Then came he out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Quran, and from thence, when his father was dead, he removed him into this land wherein ye now dwell. And he gave him none inheritance in it, no, not so much as to set his foot on it. Yet he promised that he would give it to him for a uh, possession and to his seed after him when he yet had no child. And God spake on this wise, that his seed should sojourning in a strange land and that they should bring them into bondage and entreat them evil 400 years and the nation to whom they shall be in bondage will i judge said god and after that shall they come forth and serve me in this place and he gave him the covenant of circumcision and Abraham begat Isaac and circumcised him the eighth day. And Isaac begat Jacob and Jacob begat the 12 patriarchs. And the patriarchs moved with envy, sold Joseph into Egypt. But God was with him and delivered him out of all his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he made him governor over Egypt and all his house. Now there came a dearth over all the land of Egypt and Canaan and a great affliction. And our fathers found no substance. But when Joseph, uh, Jacob heard that there was no corn in Egypt, he sent out our fathers first. And at the second time, Joseph was made known unto his brethren, and Joseph's kindred was made known unto Pharaoh. And then went Joseph and called his father Jacob to him and all his kindred, threescore and fifteen souls. And Joseph went down to Egypt and died, he and all his fathers. And, there, and Jacob went down to Egypt and died, he and all our fathers. And were carried over to Sychem uh, and laid in the sepulcher that Abraham bought for the sum of money of his sons and Emor, the father of Sychem. But when the time of the promise drew nigh, which God had sworn to Abraham, the people drew, grew and multiplied in Egypt till another king arose, which knew not Joseph. The same dwelt subtly with our kindred. And evil entreated our fathers, so that they cast them out, cast out their young children to the end that they might not live. In which time Moses was born and was exceeding fair and nourished up in his father's house three months. And when he was cast out, Pharaoh's daughter took him up and nurtured him for her own son. And Moses was learned in all wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in word and in deed. 
And when he was fully 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended him, avenged him, and was, uh, that was oppressed and smote the Egyptian. And he supposed his, brothers, his brethren would have understood how that God by his hand would deliver them, but they understood not. And the next day he showed himself unto them as they strove and would have set them at one again, saying, Sirs, ye are brethren, why do ye wrong one to another? Everybody still here? Okay. But he that did his brother wrong thrust him away, saying, Who made thee a ruler and a judge over us? Wilt thou kill me as thou didst the Egyptian yesterday? Then fled Moses at this saying, and was a stranger in the land of Madian, where he begat two sons. And when he was 40 years were, and when 40 years were expired, so he's 40 years old when this, he does this, and then he goes over into this wilderness, and he's there for 40 years, so he's like 80 years old, of course. And when 40 years were expired, there appeared to him in the wilderness in Mount Sinai an angel of the Lord in the flame of uh, of fire in a bush. And when Moses saw it, he wondered at the sight, and as he drew near to behold it, the voice of the Lord came unto him, saying, I am the God of thy fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Then Moses trembled and durst not behold. Um, then said the Lord to him, Put off thy shoes from thy feet, for the place where thou standest is holy. And I have seen, and I have seen, uh, I have seen, I have seen the affliction of my people, which is in Egypt, and I have heard their groaning, and have come down to deliver them, and now come, I will send thee into Egypt. Now let's, that's it, okay, for the time being. Let me stop right there. We, whole, we read this whole litany, this history, that Stephen, uh, you know, shared, and he's about to die and uh, we're going to read just a little bit more in just a moment. But he comes to this place and he says here, and again, I want to remind you, shadow of the old, speaking to the new, and speaking to us in the time in which we live. Now I want to say this, based on what we just read, all these were in Egypt. We know the whole story. I don't want to repeat it. We just read it. Hopefully you paid attention. But all of them came to live there, and they lived there 400 years. In one place it teaches us it was like exactly 430 years. So 400 years. The nation of America is not even 400 years old, so that tells you how long that they were there. They weren't always in slavery, but once they came into a place where the Pharaoh that begat or you know, was friendly to Joseph passed away, Eventually, there became other pharaohs. They didn't know Joseph. Then they put Israel under slavery. And for like almost 400 years, they were always under this slavery issue and, 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 and those kinds of things. But the important part is for me to say this to you. The whole time that they were there, there's never ever any record of signs, wonders, and miracles. In fact, you would have to go back pre all of this into Abraham's day to pick up on anything that God ever did where you would say, wow. And that was when God, you know, the last thing that God ever did where people looked at God and said, we all see him. 
and it wasn't everybody, it was Abraham. He appeared to Abraham, gave him the covenant with the stars. He did things like come and visit him in the plains of the desert and tell him, I'm going to destroy uh, Sodom, and that was the Lord. He actually appeared to him. He actually destroyed Sodom. So those are supernatural things that took place that Abraham could see. Uh, Jacob, you know, he had the Jacob's ladder where he had the visions. But there wasn't, after Abraham, and especially during these 430 years, there's no miracles taking place. There's no supernatural wonders taking place. There's no record of, of Israel basically just lived and died and breathed as slaves and worked. But as far as God's visitation, there was nothing for them to put their hopes on as saying, we serve a God of miracles. We serve a God of signs and wonders. We see it all the time. It was absent from them. It was totally absent from them, so they had no expectation in and of themselves because it wasn't something that was continually happening. In fact, the absence of God being a God of miracles, a God of wonders, was really not in their thinking vocabulary, was not part of them. But important enough, in verse 34, God said through when Stephen is reaccounting what took place, when he said, gives the whole account of Moses and Moses, uh, you know, coming to know, you know, being distracted. And, and, and again, the, the first, it, it speaks to me. It's amazing. The first thing that when God appears back to Israel, it's through Moses and Moses in the wilderness. And it's through a burning bush. It's through fire. It's through the excellency of the Holy Spirit. You know, or, or, you know, it says an angel consumed the bush, but it was a, a bush that would not be consumed, consumed. It was fire. God turned Moses aside through his interest. Now, this is the first time, this might not sound important to you, but it is important. This is the first time in 400 years that God shows up with anything miraculous. It's like, what's going on over here? But Stephen said that the reason why God did that and the reason why he visited and got Moses' attention to say, come over here, I'm a supernatural God, is in verse 34, he said to Moses when he greeted him, I have heard their groanings, and I'm come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send thee unto Egypt. When God says, I've heard their groanings, he's saying this, I've heard, I've heard the groanings, their cries, and God has said, that has got my recognition. I'm coming to do something about their situation. I'll remind you again. The type and shadows that are in front of us. Moses was a type of Christ. Somebody said, I, I thought Joshua was. He is. Moses was in his dispensation. Became a deliverer, which Christ was and is our deliverance out of sin. Joshua, in his dispensation, or in his generation, led them into the promised land. But this Moses becomes a type and shadow, and the first thing of Christ, and the first thing that God tells him is, it's because of their groanings I'm doing this. 
Now, I'll remind you of this so we don't have to do too much skipping around in Scripture. Romans 8, 22 says this, For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, that's the born-again nature, I will tell you, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our bodies. Now that's talking about creation. That's telling us in Romans 8 that the whole creation in and of itself is crying out, God, save us, come back, restore us, we're under a curse, we're under a fall, and God, that's the destruction of the planet. That's the hurricanes. The, that, what he's saying is, I mean, is there a voice? Can you go around with a microphone, creation tree? Can you speak? No. It's telling us the demonstration of the destruction of the planet, the hurricanes, the, 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 you know, the, the droughts, the, all these things. It's crying out, <laughs> we're under curse. It, the, he's saying, if you could personify a voice to the, to the creation, it's saying, change us back to what we originally were. That's what we want. But it says, not only they, but we which have the first fruits of the Spirit, which is the born-again nature, we ourselves are groaning within ourselves. And what is our groaning? Our groaning is very similar, comparable to the earth, the, all the injustice of the age that we live in, the abortion, the killing, the murder, the rape, the, the, all of everything that is out there, our spirits are crying out and groaning, change this. He goes on to say the Holy Spirit also makes, infirm, uh, makes intercession for, likewise, our infirmities. We know not what we should pray for as we all, but the Spirit himself or better better it says itself but better translation himself maketh intercession for us with groaning same word which cannot be uttered so god said look the reason why i came and visited moses was because of the groanings of my people obviously they weren't born again or praying in the spirit excuse me but what he is saying is this the type and shadow is this because of the intercession of god changed this whole thing i came and, and did something what they did not know, I became totally revealed to them. God is saying to us in the age that we live in, the come away with me, the petitioning for us to come away with him is the groanings. If you look in the type and shadows of Egypt, of Israel in Egypt, their groaning solicited from God an eventual appearance that had not appeared for 400 years. And he totally came in a way in just a moment's time that totally changed their ideology, their thought process. They only knew him. They actually did not know him. They did not know his name. Moses said, who, shall I, who, who are you? Who are you? I don't know your name. What should I tell him who sent me? I, I don't know who you are. They'd only known him as the God of their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but they certainly had not known him. That, for, that bunch in Egypt certainly had not known him in power. The power was not being demonstrated. Signs, wonders, demonstration of power. So there was nothing to that. But uh, as, as we just read the, these last four verses in chapter 7 um, concerning the testimony of Stephen, he said this, um, Verse 35, if you're still there, this Moses whom they refused, saying, 
who made thee a ruler and judge, the same did God send to be a ruler and deliver by the hand of the angel which appeared to him. And he brought them out after that he had showed wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness forty years. This is that Moses which said unto the children of Israel, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me, him shall ye hear. Now, if there's any question, like when I said a while ago, uh, Moses is a type of Christ. He said, this one that really is, I'm testifying of him. He's going to be like me in this sense of the word. I, I'm a deliverer to Egypt or to Israel. There's one that's going to come that's going to deliver the world in essence. This is he, Stephen said, that was in the church in the wilderness with the angel which spake unto him in Mount Sinai and with our fathers who received the lively oracles to give unto us. Um, and as I said, Moses was a deliverer, a type and a shadow of Jesus, okay? And we also understand that uh, Joshua as well was, because the word Joshua is uh, Yeshua, same really word as Jesus. Um, Israel at the time of their Egyptian bondage did not know whom who God was except that he was the God of their, their father Abraham. Israel did not know God as a God of signs and wonders. The last demonstration, as I said, of signs and wonders was 400 plus years ago earlier with Abraham. Um, turn with me to Exodus chapter 3. I told you we were going to go into a lot of scripture. Once you leave here tonight, you can feel like you've, oh, I've got my Bible reading in for a little while. Praise God. Hallelujah. Moses, I will say this, among the children of Israel as well, he was totally shocked. He was shocked um, by what he came in contact with, the, the God of power, because he had never... Now, he's 80 years old. At the end of 40 years, he's 40 years old when he kills the Egyptian. After he goes into the wilderness, 40 years, at the end of 40 years, he's 80 years old. There's three parts of Moses' life. The first part in Egypt, the second part in the wilderness, and the last 40 years, he's 120, three, three 40s. The last 40, he guides uh, Israel through the wilderness right up to the land of, of Canaan. But look at verse 1, chapter 3. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest at Midian, and he fled and he led the flock to the backside of the desert, and, it came, and he came to the mountain of God at Mount Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. And he looked, and behold, a bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. Now, we say that with a lot of, you know, I'm just reading this along. It sounds very melancholy. But if you, this man, he's not accustomed to seeing angels all over the place, burning bushes that are not consumed. He's just a working shepherd out in the middle of the wilderness, and when he's seeing this up on this mountain, he's like, this is spooky for him. This is, this is very um, fearful for him. Strange, extremely strange. He's exactly right. And he's like, wow, I've got to go see what's going on here. God said, verse 3, I will now turn aside. Um, or, or Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight why the bush is not burnt. 
And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither. Put off thy shoes from off thy feet. The place wherein thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said unto him, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses uh, hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. He was extremely afraid. Um, as you read Matthew, as you if you read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, you, you find that even God, you know, God met with Moses face to face. But there was times where the the word says that Moses was exceedingly fearful and did tremble. Um, and it says here in verse seven, and the Lord said unto him, I will surely, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt and have heard their cries. That's those groanings by reason of their taskmasters, for I, have, for I know their sorrows. What is our groanings today? Our groaning is this. The Holy Spirit is putting on us a divine intercession to birth a revival. The Holy Spirit doesn't like people going to hell, and especially without any demonstration of power. He's birthing a church back in the earth that is a re replica of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first begotten, so that when we come to, when we come to the earth with our message, we're not coming with doctrine only we must come with doctrine that's foundation but we're coming with the demonstration of the power with the doctrine that's what we see here in just a moment as we read this that as moses went he didn't just come with doctrine because the doctrine was i'm coming to you elders and telling you god's saying he's heard your cry your intercession now he's going to set you free and we're going to become a nation unto God, and we're going to follow him in holiness and righteousness. He's going to give us the law. That was the doctrine. But he didn't just come with that. Immediately, as simultaneously, the day and hour that he came and approached them, he didn't just come by words only. He came with a demonstration of power. A absolute, and we'll see what that is. And it convinced them of what he was saying was absolutely true. And the Lord said, I have surely heard, surely seen, this is seven again, the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, masters, for I have known their sorrows. I'm come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them up out of that land unto a good land of large and flowing with milk and honey, unto a place of the Canaanites, Hittites, the Amorites, Pezzarites, Hivites, Jebusites. And now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel is come unto me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppress them. Ours, ours is not. God, we can't take it. Please deliver us. Those, but the, the, the shadow is this. If you look at Israel and Old Testament Scripture, we've already seen from 1 Corinthians that those things are types and shadows. The shadow that we're seeing here is the cry of their hearts delivered them over into something they never had before, which was deliverance. That deliverance came with a great price to Egypt, but it also came with great power, and something happened that they had never seen before. He says in verse 10, Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my, children, uh, my people and the children of Israel out of Egypt. And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, Certainly I will be with thee, and this shall be a token to thee that I have sent thee when thou, everybody still with me? 
Good. Has brought forth the people out of Egypt. You shall serve God unto this mountain. In other words, you're going to come right back here and be part of what I've got planned at this, this site. And, God said unto, and Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, The God of your fathers, now they, they would recognize that, but, but all they knew was, was like a God of heritage, like a God of forefathers, not a God of power, not a God of essence in that sense. I say unto them, The God of your fathers shall, has sent me unto you, and, that shall, and, what, and they shall say unto me, He said, I, I can anticipate what, what is his name? What shall I say to them? I mean, I don't, know, even know, I don't even know what to call you. And God said unto him and said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. Hallelujah. I say I am is sending a revival to Immokalee. He's sending a revival to Tulsa. He's sending a revival to Dayton. He's sending a revival to wherever you live in whatever location, if you're standing there claiming it and walking this path, okay? And God said unto Moses, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me unto you. This is, uh, this is my name forever, and this is my memorial unto all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say unto them, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared unto me, saying, I have surely visited you and seen that which is done to you in Egypt. And I have said, and I, have said I will bring you out of the affliction, of Egypt and to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, and the Amorites, the Pezzarites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and the land flowing with milk and honey, and they shall hearken to my and they shall hearken to thy voice, and thou shalt come, thou and the elders of Israel, unto the king of Egypt, and you shall say unto him, The Lord God of the Hebrews hath met with us, and now let us go. We beseech thee three days journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice unto the Lord our God. And I am sure, God said, that the king of Israel will not let you go, no, not by, the might, uh, by a mighty hand. And I will stretch out my hand and smite Egypt with all wonders, which I will do in the midst of thee, and after that he will let you go. And I will give his people, and I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And it will come to pass that when they go, you shall not go empty, but every woman shall borrow of her neighbor and every and of her that uh, sojourneth in her house, jewels and silver, jewels of gold, raiment, and you shall put them upon your sons and your daughters, and you shall spoil Egypt. And Moses answered and said, but, this is chapter 4, verse 1, Behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice, but for they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. Okay? The world, you know, here's our gospel, Okay? What's your gospel any different than Islam? Any different from Marxism? Any different from anything else? What we, you're, you, you say you're a Christian. You say you're sent by Christ. And the Lord said to him, what is in thy hand? And he said, a rod. And he said, cast it on the ground. And he cast it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses fled before it. And the Lord said unto Moses, Put forth thy hand, and take it by the tail. And he put it, his hand, and he put forth his hand, and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord thy God, the, uh, 
the God of the, thy, their fathers, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, hath appeared unto thee. And the Lord said further unto him, Put forth thine hand into thy bosom. And he put forth his hand into his bosom. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous as snow. And he said, Put forth thine hand into thy bosom again. And he put forth his hand in his bosom again. And he plucked it out of his bosom. And behold, it was turned again as his other flesh. And it came to pass... And it, can, and it shall come to pass, if they will not believe thee, neither hearken to the voice of the first sign, that they will believe the voice of the latter sign. And it shall come to pass, if they will not believe also these two signs, neither hearken unto thy voice. Thou shalt take of the water of the river, and pour it upon the dry ground, and the water which, is, which thou takest out of the river shall become blood upon the dry ground. Okay. Moses did not approach the children of Israel with doctrine alone. We've said that. And I say doctrine. He wasn't teaching doctrine like apostolic doctrine, but it was message. He came to them speaking and immediately demonstrated signs and wonders which validated what he was saying that God had said to him. Here again, Moses said, we just read it, God, they're not going to believe me. They're not going to believe me. Why would they believe me? Because really, we don't have any record of you know, like all signs and wonders taking place on a usual basis during that time. They were just in bondage. They were just slaves, got up every day as a slave, got up every day, worked, served Pharaoh, and, but they never had any kind of intervention. But because of the cries or the groanings, and we know those were not supernatural groanings of the Holy Spirit, but the type and shadows is something solicited God, and God said, I've heard them, I've heard their groanings, I'm coming to deliver them, and here's how I'm going, to do, I'm going to deliver them with a word from you to their captive or to their captor. Go and tell them this. Convince the children of Israel this. What I've said is true. But here's the thing. If they won't believe you, take your rod, throw it down. It'll be it's supernatural sign of wonder immediately. If they don't believe that, number two, put your hand inside of your, your coat or your you know, shawl or whatever, you know, or your robe, and bring it out, it will become totally leprosous, you know, le leprosy. And then put it back in immediately, bring it back out, it's new flesh again. He said, if they won't believe those two, then take water out of the river, this is his brethren, and then pour it out. The, they just saw you take the water, pour it out, and it becomes blood. The essence is this, immediately... God comes, the change that took place is that God comes with signs and wonders to convince the gainsayers or everyone, not just Pharaoh, but first of all, the church. The church, you say, well, they weren't the church. First Corinthians said that they were the church in the wilderness. We just read that. To convince them that God is a God of power, that God is a God of authority, that God is a God of creativity, that God is a God of wonders, that God is a God of signs. They hadn't seen that in 430 years. They didn't know that. They didn't know that about him. So all of a sudden, God shows up in this way. Um, Israel was shocked by the God of power as well as the Egyptians. God had not been seen in the supernatural in over 400 years now they saw another side to god that they had not seen or never had seen just because there was no signs did not mean that god had not been a god of signs and wonders and i say that to us we, yes praise god we have we're not absent from it's not like it's 
zero, we have seen zero. That's not what I'm saying, zero miracles, zero. I've seen so many wonderful healings and so many wonderful, but I'm not talking about headaches and backaches right now. I'm talking about blind eyes. I'm talking about um, creative miracles, no limbs. I'm talking about those kinds of things. And then immediately after these three signs, all bam, bam, bam. I'm just run right out. Not, not in years. Not, this didn't take years. But immediately, uh, God shows all of Israel. They see this. It was against Egypt. But the, the river turns to blood. That's like, we've never seen anything like this before. The river turns to blood. That doesn't work. Within just days, I mean, it's like bam, 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 bam. Within just days, God says, okay, that didn't convince you, Pharaoh. But Israel's standing on the sidelines watching this. They're like, who's this? Where'd he come from? He, this is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We, we never saw him. All we did is go to work every day and eat our you know, garlic and onions and, and or got oppressed by the devil. Where's he been? The next thing is frogs come in by the billions, come into the palace of, uh, of Pharaoh, and all the Egyptians are crying out, we can't take it. Billions and billions of frogs. Where do the frogs come? Then the frogs leave. And then the lice come. People can't sleep because they're scratching all night. There are billions of lice all over their bodies. The lice leave and then within days the flies come the flies come you can't sit down and eat because it there there's no there's no way to eat there's no way to the billions and trillions of flies then pestilence comes then boils everybody's filled i mean this is like this is not taking years this is bam 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 what you know I, we'll stop it okay let him go no i'm not gonna let him go well then the next day the next few days then everybody in Egypt, millions of people, the Egyptians start having boils all over their body. It's like an epidemic that comes through. They know, they're watching, but on the sidelines, Israel's gassed. They're aghast by their, they're like, where did he come from? Where'd this God of strange wonders come from? We haven't seen him do this. Then the boils, then the hail. The hail starts coming, destroys all the crops, and the hail, when, a, when the hail hits the ground, it has fire with it. And the fire scoots along the ground, burns up the crops, kills it, you know, everything in its way, and kills all their animals. Locusts comes right after that. Then darkness comes, and for like three days, there's like darkness. Just incredible. You cut it with a knife, darkness. But the amazing part, the Bible says that in the land of Goshen, right over like, you know, it'd be like, Everybody has darkness, but just in a small community or wherever that community is, there's light. And it doesn't say the sun was shining. It just said they could see. There was plenty of light. I don't know. I mean, that's amazing. Then the last of it was, uh, you know, all the firstborn, all the firstborn in Egypt die. So they got 10 different. And then as soon as they leave, God opens up a Red Sea to them. They're able to walk across. I'm sure that they're like... They're still reeling from the last several months of watching supernatural bam, 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 signs and wonders. They're walking through this Red Sea and they're like, this is, 
This is our God. He can do this. We didn't know he could do this. We weren't accustomed to him doing this. He was, he could, uh, where did he come from? How did he show up? He could just come up. As soon as he gets through the Red Sea, then we get the cloud by day, you know, the pillar of fire by night. It's just began. And then for the next 40 years, there's continual supernatural signs and wonders on a continual basis. What are you saying with all that, Pastor? Well, what you've been hearing me say is this, that all of a sudden, after hundreds of years, almost another God appears that they did not know. The God of signs and wonders. The type and shadow is this. When the fullness of time came, because of the groanings of a particular, uh, because of the groanings of the people, and I would say the type and shadow of that is our groanings, come away with me, come away with me, come away with me, pray, pray the mysteries. Deliverance was manifest to Israel in their time and season. That deliverance was demonstrated with signs and wonders, the God of power. The God of wonders appears as if he had been sleeping almost, and we know God doesn't sleep, but it was almost, I can imagine to them, if you're watching this, see, to me, I don't know how I've described it before in the past, it could be, it could be gradual, it could be, revival could be gradual, but I think it's going to turn on a dime. I think it's going to turn on a dime more so that, as I was saying on Sunday, when there's enough authority that has been in the, in the body of Christ, and it's not just us, but there's a, I'm realizing there's a lot of body of Christ out there that's really praying and they're really saying, deliver us, not like deliver us like we can't take any longer, but the injustices of this earth, we've got to have a revival. And the prayers that are being prayed are ushering in a supernatural change that will take place, that we're going to go from uh, light to darkness, as it were, in a certain sense, in the essence of power we, we preach this, man, this, this thing right here, this thing, I say it respectfully, the Bible, that's the essence of everything. That's the foundation. This is why I know this is going to take place. Praying in the Spirit also verifies that for me. The prophecies also verify that for me. But I'm telling you that the church is going to come to a place where that as Israel saw God for the first time in a different way, and they had never known, oh, he's the God of our fathers. What can he do? I don't know. He, he can't really do anything. Basically, I, I don't even really know what his name is. We never have seen him do anything. Then all of a sudden, in just months, bam, 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 wonders, the God of wonders shows up. And it's like, where have you been all along? Where have you been? It's like, my God, this is spooky. He just... It, everywhere on every turn he's doing something strange and we're watching this take place this is how it's going to take place in the outpouring of joel's army a, a glory that is going to encompass the church that is the praying church that is the holy church that is the crucified church that it's the church that is actually doing the sayings of christ the god of wonders appears as if he had been sleeping for 400 years but rather it was the groanings that awakened the supernatural powers. The blueprint prophecies have stated that the church will be shocked at what they will see and what they will hear from this place, and not just this place, but of course the places that are the nucleuses of the, the epicenters of these, of these uh, revivals. I believe that we will all be shocked by the initial outpouring of the power. 
Once the miracles are manifest on every turn, it will be as if we are seeing another side of God that we have never experienced before. And yet it will be our groanings in the spirit that have awakened and solicited his supernatural power back into a manifestation force. So praise God. That's, that's the essence of this message, but I'm excited. Because if there's a type and shadow that tells me this, he did it suddenly. You know, when we read through Genesis, Exodus, especially when we get to all those miracles and taking place, my mind, I don't know about your, my mind, when I, when I think about them seeing all that cataclysmic stuff, I mean, just incredible stuff, I kind of kind of default to the, the thought that they had kind of always seen that, and that was not an all to them. It may have gradually got to, after a while, it wasn't an all to them, like, oh, I can't believe. But I'm telling you, to start with, they hadn't seen that forever. There was no, there was, it was just human life. And then all of a sudden, this God steps behind a, cur- from a, behind a curtain and says, I'm, I'm God. And I can do a bunch of supernatural stuff. And he started showing them that. Revival is going to be that. Have we seen miracles? Absolutely we've seen miracles. We've had Pastor Dave here. We've seen all kinds of things. But I'm telling you, that is going to be primary beginner's class stuff. Not to demean anybody's ministry or any of us, myself, anybody that was ever performed a miracle. But I'm telling you, what we've seen before compared to what is going to take place in the future is going to be such an essence of a change it will be like just to me that's how i'm seeing it israel must have saw like this is yeah he sent me to you to tell you oh and the very first thing the very i got to tell you this he didn't just tell me to come with words watch this boom oh ha watch out my god what is, is that witchcraft what are you doing my god Oh, you don't believe me? Watch this. Oh, you don't believe me? Watch this. Moses couldn't do that 80 years prior. But all of a sudden, at the snap of your hand, the snap of your finger, Moses becomes an essence of a deliverer to them and says, okay, now watch this. For the next few months, you're going to see sign and wonder after wonder that is going to all... You you think a, a snake on the ground is something? Wait till you see God opening up a, a, an entire ocean in front of us. Wait till you see that. Now that's going to that's gonna tip the scales on you. That's going to call, you're going to be like, where has this God been? Revival is going to be like, where has this God been? And yet we know, but dear, dear heart, I, I appreciate when you say we've always had miracles. <laughs> yes, we have, not to demean any of them, but again, we're not talking about, hallelujah, my back got healed, or hallelujah, my head got healed, and that, work, and that helps. When that's, but we're talking about step back. The, the commonness of legs growing out and seeing arms grow out. And, I'm not, and, and I, I remember Dave used to do the thing where the arms, I'm not talking about that. That's a miracle too. But I'm talking about where there is no leg where there is no arm and that's where we're headed and at that point we're going to say where you been and what you been up to and he's going to say i've been i've been the same always but i've been waiting on you 
And since you guys have prayed me down through groanings of intercession, I'm ready to show you. I'm ready, I'm ready to show off. That's what revival is. He's about ready to show off and show out. Hallelujah. So let's all stand. Praise God. Amen. Glory. Glory. So, Father, we thank you that our time is limited between now and then of when, Lord, we're going to see some incredible displays of your glory and of your presence. And uh, we just thank you for it. We bless this uh, time and season that we're in, that we're crying out with groanings. Come down, Lord. You're already down. We know that. But manifest yourself in ways in which the early church was the only ones that actually saw the fullness of this. But greater works shall we do because you have gone to the Father. And we thank you for it. We bless this time and we bless this message into all nations in Jesus' name. Amen.